listen to the show in HD at 100.3 HD2 FM. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN Chicago. Good Sunday morning to you. We are 200 days away until the kickoff of the 2023 NFL season. I cannot wait. But of course, (laughs) Brian Hanley, this will be the first Sunday without a football game in a long, long time. I'm Jeff Meller. He's Brian Hanley. We're hanging out with you until 11 o'clock today. And I figured that would be a great place to start because... Even though we know that the conclusion of the Super Bowl occurred last Sunday night, people now this weekend finally have to come to terms with the reality that they need to find something else to do with their Sundays. And for the vast majority, I don't believe the XFL is it. Uh, No. He hate me? Is he still in that league? I Um, don't believe Rod Smart is. (laughs) Uh, You know, I was out to dinner with some uh, people last night and some of the older crowd. Mm-hmm. And there was still, hey, what was with that halftime show? Hey, was that really a hold? I mean, you know, even though it's almost a week removed, they're like, what, you know, what'd you think of the game? I said, I thought it was a terrific game. And they're, they're, they started chapter and verse about what was wrong with the entire thing. I'm like, okay, James Bradbury said he, hold, he helped yes. the guy. And then like a day or so later, there's a, a, a camera angle that we didn't really see during the broadcast where he clearly has a, a fistful of jersey. You know, feel free earlier in the second half to do something about KC marching up and down the field when Patrick Mahomes is turning into Superman again. I mean, you had that game in your back pocket at halftime. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think the problem is that it is unsatisfactory as a sports observer to watch a game. And I I don't even want to say decided by because that like insinuates in some way that the refs took command of the game and decided they wanted it to go their way. To your point, which you just said, James Bradbury freely admitted he held. We've all seen the camera views. It's unsatisfying for it to end that way, but that's what we sign up for. That's the game that we watch week in and week out. It is filled with penalties oftentimes. And so, you know, for it to end on a couple of, you know, Patrick Mahomes kneel downs until Harrison Butker yeah. kicks it through the uprights. And they I slide un- down at the one. I mean, yeah. you know, oh, like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Jarek McKinnon, absolutely. Yeah. You know what? And, and, Underrecognized, uh, just while you brought it up, that's great coaching. Recognizing sure. that, hey, you know what? We're in this moment. The only way the Eagles can really probably get back into this one and have a, a realistic shot of winning it is if we go ahead and score that touchdown. So, no, in the huddle, let's let our guys know that don't go into the end zone. And it's unsatisfying as a fan because it's it's counter to everything you do, the emotion of sports in the moment he should be in the end zone. Mm-hmm. And it, it's great strategy and it's the right thing to do. But And we're still debating what's a catch in the NFL. And, you know, those uh, the couple of those passes on the sideline, did he control it all the way to the ground? You know, you got to do something about that. I mean, if – 98% of the fans believe it's a catch, and here comes the, the review, and they're explaining it's not a catch. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a problem for the league, and it's a problem for your brand. But as games go, you know, oh, the, yeah. the people at dinner last night, well, I liked the first half that was up and down. You know, there were, you know, great. Teams were just going up and down the field at will. Again, the Eagles have no one to blame but themselves and Patrick Mahomes for, for what happened in that second half. I, I just... 
you can't you can't just fold like that. You can't let him take over a game when he's reaggravated the ankle on top of it and he's running for twenty six yards in a key play. Yeah, if there was if at this point anybody had any doubts about just how good of a generational talent Patrick Mahomes is, you saw. I think he finally made a, a full. He, he probably converted everybody at that point because when you're you're dealing with playing at less than a hundred percent and you're still clearly one of the best players on the field, the defense can't do much to stop you. There, there's no more that needs to be said. He is going to be tremendously fun to watch for well, this the next is, decade. This is, this is how great he is beyond the MVP awards, and, and he's a Hall of Famer, no doubt. Matt Nagy can't even screw him up. So with <laughs> That's a good Eric, point. With Eric Bihanami going to the commanders, and everyone says it's you know, all signs point to Matt Nagy getting the big Denny's menu again and mm-hmm. being the offensive coordinator. It, look, Andy Reid's going to run that offense. Yes. So, you know, Matt, God bless him. And, and I know Patrick Finley, my buddy, sometimes had some great – uh, uh, features on Matt, on, on Matt leading up to the game. He's a great guy. I've said forever, the last three years, you'd love to have him as your next-door neighbor. They're, he's not a bad guy. You did not root against him. He was not a good head coach. He will not be a head coach in this league again unless Kansas Ooh. City hands him the reins. And I I, I just... He, he's not he's not, he's not not Andy Reid. And I don't think he deserves another shot. And I, during... He, uh, Nagy told Patrick, Patrick Finley... No one can take away the uh, coach of the year season and the executive of the year. That was Vic Fangio's defense in their 38 takeaways or whatever. I mean, that wasn't the offense winning that, those awards or getting to the playoffs. You're- so God bless him, you know, with his, his, his one season that, you know, looked good he- here and then the six and five and six game losing streaks that went on after the fact and, he had to fire himself from play calling not once but a couple times. Uh, it's interesting because I've argued now with Waddle intensely this week, but also over the last few weeks about how I do believe that Matt Nagy will get a head coaching gig within the next decade. I do, and you know, I can't give you the exact timeline, but I think, and I'm not saying that he'll necessarily deserve it, but I just think after having watched this league for as long as I have. He is, and you're right, he is a nice guy, and that's going to play into it. He's very likable. He, I think we, you know, I think back before everybody had made up their mind that Matt Nagy was a complete boob, the introductory press conference had everybody ooing and eyeing and raving about the possibilities when Matt Nagy was introduced as the Bears head coach. People couldn't believe, oh, you finally got a fresh, young, offensive mind who explains things in detail and it just goes to show it's always going to be a results-oriented business for the most part. And I think, to your point about hitching, you know, Pat, what even Matt Nagy can't screw up a Patrick Mahomes offense. I think a couple years removed now with Matt Nagy running the Kansas City Chiefs offense, maybe another Super Bowl or two along the way. And I, what he brought up, that coach of the year in 2018 to point to, is going to be a way for him to spin it forward. And I think... When teams get hip to the, you know, a couple years now, a couple years removed from, he can spin it one way. I'm sure he'll push some of the blame on to Ryan Pace in that interview process. And I do believe that Matt Nagy will be a head coach, if not in Kansas City, as the successor to Andy Reid. I think a few years removed with Patrick Mahomes rehabilitating him, I think he will get another crack at it. But that is something we'll have to uh, wait and see it play out. The one I, other- I, 
Go ahead. I, I just think if it's not Kansas City, it's not going to happen. And and I still, you know, Ryan Pace, uh, Ryan Pace is not going to be a GM anytime in well, this yes. league, anytime at all. I mean, no, no, done. that's fair. That, I agree yeah. with that. And, and generally, GMs don't get a second crack at it. That's much more hard to do. Um, one thing I do want to say, too, about the Bradbury hold before we move on, I would much rather the officials call, again, unsatisfactory, call the play, as opposed to, and I always think back to the Saints-Rams-NFC Championship game where Mikel Robbie Coleman absolutely obliterated a Saints wide receiver who was wide open for a walk-in touchdown. Drew Brees lays it out, and, and there's no call. The refs kept it in their pocket because they, quote, let them play in the final moments in what was clearly, obviously, a ridiculous pass interference the worst I can ever I can ever remember seeing not called, and in that instance, that actually robbed the Saints of Absolutely. a Super Bowl appearance. And Sean Payton has com- has commented about how there's not a day that goes by that he doesn't that 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 play doesn't creep into his mind at least at some point. And it's well, I was under- screaming like everyone else. You're screaming at the TV. I mean, like what do you you, you know? There's letting him play, and there's that. I yes. mean, that you can't you can't in, on the biggest stage, the biggest game. It's too bad the you know we, we were talking about it last week before the game that hopefully the officiating wasn't going to come into play. Well, inevitably it does, but again, it wasn't that that one play is a talking point. It's written about its headlines, but the fact of the matter is the Eagles could have won that game, should have won that game, and found a way to lo- to lose that game. Let's try Jim, who's in Crystal Lake. Jimmy, you're on with Miller and Hanley on ESPN 1000. What's going on? Hey guys, uh, happy early month Sunday morning. Um, so, I mean, I was just wondering, I heard Mel Kuyper discuss a couple times about how awful the field was and oh. how Philadelphia didn't have any sacks, and that was a main reason why. And the more I hear about it, I'm kind of ticked about it because I had money on Philadelphia. Sure. You know, so, I mean, I'm just wondering, is there going to be complaints across the NFL for this? I mean, did Vegas have something to do with the field? Because, I mean, it's just, that's terrible. That is that is awful for the, the Eagles to be taken away with their you know record-setting year for sacks, and they can't even record one in the Super Bowl. I, that's just that's just awful to me. It made Soldier Field side look pretty good. That's how bad it was. I, I mean, then you read that it was special grass that they actually cultivated for the game and mm-hmm. worked on it for months. And you know that stadium, Jeff, where they can slide the entire field outside. Mm-hmm and get sun and water it and slide it back in on the on the track and i mean and then you guys can't even get their footing and you know the first couple of times like well that's pretty odd and then it's like every other snap that again yeah. that the nfl you actually went out and and had experts put together this new turf and, and that's what you got i mean good lord that was awful and your ch- guys are changing cleats and still not you know then really putting the effort to get uh, get a you know foot down to to get be able to make a cut it was just it was awful. Not that anybody ever debated that football is not a television sport, but that is evidence all you need in their marquee signature event, the Super Bowl, where we know every single year it's going to be the most viewed thing on television in the world. We know that, right? And so. Sure. This occurs, and they would rather be obsessed with the field of play being 
spray painted with whatever they use to make it make sure that it shines and glistens for television as opposed to the product on the field being the best it possibly could because in I don't know if it was like you said the new turf that they you know designed specifically for the Super Bowl in hopes that it would be the best or the combination of that turf being painted you know the week before in hopes of making it sparkle for all our all of our eyes on television but the reality is yes the edge rushers who rely a great deal on their footing and who have to spin or try and bend around a tackle they're the ones who are most susceptible when they're you know bigger bigger guys yep. trying to yep. accelerate and then move quickly they're the ones who did take the brunt of it and i think to jim's point the eagles probably it played it, it took out one of their biggest strengths their pass rushing ability which was in reality the only way they were really going to be sure. able to stop Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs is if they could get a decent pass rush so i think you could point directly to the field of play and say yeah that probably contributed greatly to the Chiefs victory in the Super Bowl yeah it's not a good look i mean it just it's when you're a multi multi billion dollar industry and the premier sports league in the world, and even even your your the two your worst teams in the league could be playing, and it will draw a pretty good TV rating because it's the NFL. I mean, you got to be better than that. You've got you got to make sure everything is taken care of and and everything is checked out before you actually flip that coin to start the Super Bowl. We're one step closer, and at this point, I feel like there's no going back to the Bears playing in Arlington Heights. We'll talk about it next. Listen to us now, live on the ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. here on this Sunday morning inside the old National Bank studio. So earlier this week on Wednesday, Brian, the Chicago Bears tweeted out an open letter regarding the closing on the Arlington Park property. And it began, quote, last fall, we released an open letter confirming the team had reached an agreement for the pur- purpose of acquiring 326 acres of property in Arlington Heights to secure the potential of beginning a new and exciting chapter for the Bears, our fans, the Chicagoland community, and the state of Illinois. This week, we took another step toward realizing that vision by closing on the Arlington Park property. Finalizing the purchase does not guarantee the land will be developed, but it is an important next step in our ongoing evaluation of the opportunity. There is still a tremendous amount of due diligence work to be done to determine if constructing an enclosed state-of-the-art stadium and multi-purpose entertainment district is feasible. And it goes on, uh, on quite a bit after that, but that is the gist of it. The Bears officially have become that much closer to becoming the Arlington Heights Bears. Of course, they'll always be named the Chicago Bears, but it looks like we are that much closer, and I can't imagine... You would go ahead and, you know, just drop close to $200 million without a full go intention of eventually opening that domed stadium out there. You know, when you hear Lori Lightfoot 
who's obviously, you know, trying to be reelected, talk about this week. Well, now that the deal's done, we can go back and have conversations because they, you know, legally they were not allowed to continue talking to the city of Chicago until they closed on the deal. I mean, talk about political spin. Mm. They're not coming back, Miss uh, Madam Mayor. And the, the the guy who wants to develop the um, high rises and the transportation hub and all the entertainment district adjacent to Soldier Field or renovated Soldier Field, he's desperate to keep them there. But you just said it. They, they didn't spend $197 million to, to close on a 326-acre property in Arlington Heights to be a landlord for you know, townhouses out there. Um, and, and the mayor said, well, we can redo uh, naming rights and keep Soldier Field in the, in the official name of the, in, you know, they can make money that way. Even if you did the math with like SoFi Stadium and they rumored to get 20 to 30 million per year on a 20 year lease, it's 600 million, which seems like serious money, but they own everything in that stadium. Um, the, the, the two teams, Chargers and Rams, right? So, Parking, concessions, all the private clubs, all the personal seat licenses. There's no way that a park district owned Soldier Field, new naming rights or not, can compete with what money can be made when you own everything in around a 326 development uh, acre development. Exactly. It's just, and I don't want to, you know, I know that, you know, she's positioning herself, Lori Lightfoot, to try and make it like it is a realistic possibility especially, you know, in an attempt to gain re-election, but positioning it so that there's still some type of belief that the Chicago Bears will stay at Soldier Field. And while they'll still be there, I believe, for another five or six years, because it's not like you're sure. going to be, you know, just snapping your fingers and then all of a sudden have a domed stadium up at Arlington Heights, this, there still will be plenty of years before this is a finalized project. But she was dealing with a situation where a lot of all the stuff you laid out, it was an unwinnable fight when the land became available in Arlington Heights for the Bears. Like when you look at it, it they're just they're landlocked up at Soldier Field. Yep. There's all, yep. we've talked about this. The reason there is no parking is because they're landlocked, and there's only so much you can do on the museum campus. The reality is all of the opportunities for a you know long ago owning a sports organization turned into a very profitable endeavor and it was no longer about winning championships and and granted it's great if you have an owner who also wants to try and do both you know make a lot of money and try and win titles maybe at the expense of some profit along the way but the vast majority of owners who own sports franchises are looking for the next revenue stream and if you look up at Arlington Heights all the possibilities that exist, what you can do with potential a, a gambling partner, if building some you know casino, some sports book up at Arlington Heights just seems to be a natural progression down the road once they get the stadium built and some of the ancillary things. But that's something that the Bears, even if they did own the property on Soldier Field, which they never will because obviously the city has no real intention of selling them that land, that it's just... It's a not a fair fight. So while the while Lori Lightfoot and even others, other opponents of hers have tried to talk about the idea of the Bears staying, you're not having the same conversation. And look, you know, there's going to be there's already talk and debate in Springfield about 
property tax certainty, which is basically we don't want our property taxes going up every single year, like everyone who owns property in in the state and Cook County and Chicago in particular, Mm -hmm. it's guaranteed it's going up. I mean, that they they voted that into law. It's based on the cost of living. Right. They they don't want to have to take that vote every year. So they said, you know, unfortunately, inflation goes up 8 percent. Supposedly, your property tax is going to go up the same amount. And uh, Lori Lightfoot had a cap it at five percent because of the outcry, but the days of the God bless uh, Jerry Reinsdorf. You know, Sox fans don't think much of him as an owner right now because two thousand and five is a long time ago. But as a businessman, he got the best lease agreement in the history of of the state and maybe the country with you know the sell the the, the rate now. Um, the state pays, you know, guarantees ticket sales, everything. Mm-hmm. Those days are over. I mean, the state's bankrupt. They can't afford that. Uh, when the United Center was built, uh, Bill Wirtz and Jerry Reinsdorf did it privately, but they did get all the infrastructure, like the, the you know, all the utilities and, and roads around that. That was given to them by the state. That was, you know, a, a, a give, you know, a contribution by the state, a break, if you will, financially. But, the, you know, it, Tom Ricketts tried to get something similar at Wrigley Field, and obviously there were politics in play with the uh, with Rahm Emanuel, but he didn't get any help uh, rehabbing Wrigleyville, and, and basically did it on his own. So th- that fight will go on, and they'll extract something. They'll probably get utilities and piping and water hookups and everything else. I don't know about the property tax stuff. But people don't want to see billionaires be subsidized by taxpayers anymore. And I think the the on Soldier Field, there's still more than six hundred million dollars owed on the bonds that did the rehab, paid for the rehab at Soldier Field. And they'll say, well, that came came from the hotel tax, so it's not really people in Chicago paying; it's visitors. Well, okay, but that money could go to other things that the the city and the state could use if it didn't go to the Bears, right? So sure. it, it's it, it sounds nice that. The people coming to visit Chicago or the conventioneers are paying a high tax rate on their hotel room. So that's but that money that that billion dollars or a couple billion could go something somewhere else. And with five or six years left on the lease or eight years, whatever is we still own six hundred million dollars on it. So the math just doesn't work. But all that said, the Bears are going to build in Arlington Heights and. That's just the way it is. And there's no they're not going back to Soldier Field. Yeah, I'm I, I. I'm flummoxed to come up with what red tape would prevent them from actually eventually building in Arlington Heights. To your point earlier, they didn't just buy 326 acres to be a landlord. This is no. not a property flip stadium edition here where they're looking to uh, you know flip this property down the road here as a for a profit, right? So yeah. they will love be- it or listed. Yeah, or, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> At some point, there will be a stadium out in Arlington Heights. You can feel very confident about that. And another uh, marker for the Bears when they brought in Kevin Warren to be their team president. That should have told you all you needed if you were doubting it at, at any point. The reason, you know, of course, he was a, a, a coup for them to land the Big Ten commissioner. But, of course, his history in building U.S. Bank Stadium was no doubt critical, not only to the Bears for hiring him, but also probably why. I think he stated it as to why he was so interested. Part of the reasons that he was so interested in becoming the Bears team president. I thought it would be uh, good to remind folks in case they had forgotten because it was before the closing of the Arlington Park property. 
Kevin Warren met the media at his introductory press conference back on January 17th. This is what he had to say about what he's learned in building a stadium back when he helped the Minnesota Vikings open U.S. Bank Stadium. A couple things uh, I learned. Um, I remember when we finished the stadium, I have all these boxes of binders. And many people said, you can get rid of those. You'll never use those again. I'm glad I saved them. But I think the, the biggest thing I learned was the fact that you need to plan before you start digging. And I think what made and makes U.S. Bank Stadium so special, we spent almost a year in planning. And planning is critical, and that's what I appreciate about the McCaskies is uh, they support the planning process. And so I think that will be really uh, critical from that standpoint. I know we're focused on Arlington Park and uh, that stadium development project. I look forward to leaning in um, to the stadium development project. But I think the biggest thing we can do is to make sure that we're methodical, we're detailed, and uh, we take the time to plan it properly. Again, that was January 17th. Now uh, a little over a month removed from that. You just go ahead and, you know, play it out. You're looking at 2024 based on what he just said there, you know, at least a year of planning. Maybe they can expedite that just a little bit because he does still have the binders with him, Brian, and he didn't throw them away. (laughs) So maybe you can expedite expedite the process a little bit. But you heard him there and everything Kevin Warren has said um, is, you know, part of the reason I have great a great deal of confidence in Kevin Warren is because of the way he speaks. He tends to, at least from what I've garnered so far, tell it like it is. And he, he is very adamant that he wants to be meticulous in the planning process, which I think is great. You know, uh, what's the old saying, you know, measure twice, cut once. That's yep. the way I want to do it, especially if I'm building a, uh, a mega project in the Midwest, as I believe they referred to it. I want to make sure I get it right if we're going to be doing things there for the next 30, maybe 40 years if we, you know, knock it out of the park. Well, look at this. The last year, Forbes uh, rated the Bears fifth overall in the NFL in terms of valuation for a franchise. And again, go back to the Super Bowl shuffle. It's been a long time since they <laughs> yes. won, actually won a Super Bowl. So 1985 notwithstanding, they don't own Soldier Field, and they don't have anything near what some of these other teams in the league have. And they were valued at $5.8 billion. Can you imagine? And the Cowboys are sitting up there at $8 billion. And, and they, the uh, Cowboys had more than a billion in revenue last season to the Bears, $520 million. I mean, imagine when they put that brand-new stadium up and it looks anything like uh, what uh, Kevin did in Minneapolis. I mean, they're going to be a ten billion dollar franchise without even without winning anything. So the math, I mean, the math is just too attractive out there. It just is what it is. And you said it, Soldier Field's uh, footprint. You can't do much with it. You can, you can put lipstick on it, but it's still going to be a pit. <laughs> the biggest issue for the Bears is probably securing the funding that you talked about earlier, because I'm sure, like you said, the state is going to do a lot in its power to make this a little bit more difficult. They're going to put the onus on the Bears and the NFL to try and find funding. And I'm sure that they will be able to. They'll find someone with deep pockets who wants to be in business, who will be taking a large cut of you know whatever future activities, entertainment Things are hosted at the new stadium, but nevertheless, I think that's going to be the Bears' most difficult process. Not 
not necessarily the planning, but just finding who is going to do the vast majority of the funding, because that's the one part where I don't think they they're going to want to have a partner for that when all is said and done. Yeah, the NFL can they give teams uh, no interest loans that are paid back over time. So there's, you know, the, the, the money is going to be there. They, they didn't do this and put down $197 million on a, an income. They have it all figured out. They, they have their hat, hat out, and they want the state to fill it up with as much money as they can. But, you know, again, the days of, of the state building and funding a stadium completely like uh, we did uh, with the White Sox, those days are, are well over. But they'll try, they've hired lobbyists, and they're going to try to get what they can get. And they'll get something, but it's this the stadium's going up no matter no matter how much help they get or don't get from from the government he's brian hanley i'm jeff meller what were you doing last night it was saturday night did you know a former chicago bulls player saved the slam dunk contest we'll fill you in next this is chicago's home for sports ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. Miller, Brian Hanley, back with you here on ESPN 1000. And generally, Brian, I have to say that I don't really get into All-Star Saturday night. But last night, I was definitely captivated by former member of the Chicago uh, Chicago Bulls, Mac McClung. Because he put on an absolute display. The G-Leaguer for the Philadelphia uh, Philadelphia 76ers who was signed to a two-way contract just so he could compete in the slam dunk competition put on quite the display last night. And it was fabulous. And if you listen to Reggie Miller, he gave us this as it was wrapping up. Matt McClung has saved the dunk contest. Our G-Leaguer has saved, he has saved the dunk contest. Mac McClung saved the slam dunk competition. Your thoughts on the G-Leaguer just capturing and captivating the crowd last night? Well, at first I thought it was great that they let a 16-year-old into the, to the contest. But, I mean, that kid hit every note perfectly during the, during the contest, uh, certainly, to the winning the press conference, the all shucks, and you know the the uh, honoring his high school, Gate City, with the jersey. Mm-hmm. The thing is, being a G leaguer, and he talked about how much time preparation he and his buddies and his high school best friend put into this, from researching and trying to do dunks that were never seen. Yep. Um, and, you know, had eight, whittled it down to four, and hit everyone perfectly. To being from a small town of sixteen hundred people and the all shucks, I mean. You couldn't you couldn't have written a better script for that for that night. 
But if he's not in the G League, if he's a legit NBA Zach Levine star, you don't have time to put that kind of time into the to the slam dunk contest, right? So I don't know that it happens again or it happens uh, anytime soon. But for one night, it was it was great entertainment and it was a great story and it was a great feel good for the NBA. He's six foot two, and you're right. He was note perfect in everything that unfolded last night. I, it was Friday. I was hosting with Waddle, and I was asking the question: Has the NBA is the NBA missing the mark by no longer having, or I guess, are they missing the mark by still having the slam dunk contest close the night out? Because clearly, all of the superstars were competing in the three point competition, and Dame Lillard won that last night. Um, against a couple of Indiana Pacers in the final and Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton. And before the event took place, I was making the argument that for the last five or six years, it really does seem like the three-point contest has taken over as to what people are most interested in who wins, right? Because it did seem like we've been there, done that, seen everything we could possibly see with the slam dunk competition. But last night, to your point, Mac McClung and his high school friends being very proactive about figuring out, okay, how can we show fans something they've never seen before? It was it was awesome. He is six foot two, so let's be honest. It always helps, I think, if you're a, a dunk uh participant, a dunk contest participant, it always helps you if you're a smaller guard who has mad hops. It just looks that much more aesthetically pleasing to watch a guy who can get up and throw it down. And to your point, too, about him looking like he's 16 years old, that certainly played and helped as well. And, oh, by the way, do you remember the Matt McClung, Mac McClung era for the Bulls? <laughs> no, I had to look it up. Uh, I didn't get to any Windy City Bulls games Um I don't know actually if he was a, a big cog in that uh, one season in the Bulls organization or what is, you know what he left out there and um, where it's not Schaumburg. where where they're playing out at the uh, old Sears Arena wherever yeah they uh, McClung has played two games in his NBA career one of which came for the Chicago Bulls when he played for three minutes and he scored one bucket it was not a dunk by the way. It was a short little jumper. So, um, But it was awesome to watch him just put on a show. And I think what made it, if for anybody who watched it last night, the there's been so many different iterations of the slam dunk competition that it has evolved into. I think they've finally kind of figured it out where they give the participants 90 seconds to pull off the dunk. And what was so cool about watching McClung was that he had four dunks throughout throughout the entirety of the competition, and every single one he nailed on his first attempt. And that just added to the legacy of Mac McClung because it's great if you can awe me, but it loses a little something when I've seen you attempt the same dunk a couple yeah. of times prior yeah. and not pull it off. You know, there's something to being able to just step onto the courts and whatever set up the whatever the uh, ancillary objects you're using, whether it be, you know, the props being your, your couple of high school buddies jumping over them or whatever other props. There's something to be said for being able to just step onto the court, 
The crowd doesn't know what you're attempting to do. And then the first time to be able to pull it off and just show, uh, generate awe from everybody, there is something to that as well. well how about the trust factor? Is, you know, as you mentioned, if, if you haven't seen it, you know, we can't really do it justice. You need to go see the video. But when he has two of his buddies, one's on top of the shoulders of the other, holding the ball with his back to, to uh, Mac, and he's got to trust that Mac's going to clear him and not knock him into, you know, down onto the floor. And he grabs the ball and he finishes the dunk. I mean, it's just and unbelievable. To your point, he grabs the ball off of his two buddies. They're doing, you know, the one hops on the other buddy's shoulders. Yeah. And then he's holding the ball on his back, the guy who's on top. And then as McClung grabs that ball, he then touches the backboard, the bottom of the backboard, before slamming it down. Everything McClung did last night was showing an emphasis on his ability to have that just that absurd hang time, right? Like he did a couple, he did a hesitation dunk, which I know Kenny Smith saw initially. And it was one of those things too, where as, as great as it looked and, and they all did look really good live. The first time you watched them, when you slowed them down, they took on even more of a degree of difficulty because it was sometimes, sometimes it's hard to see exactly what a player is pulling off and how much they're putting into it. And so his dunks resonated that much more in slow motion as well. Oh, and, and he talked in the press conference. I mean, it wasn't happenstance. He said, I was hoping in super slow mo, everyone would see that I did hit the backboard. It was choreographed to do exactly what he did, but he said in real time, he didn't think anyone was going to be able to see it. So, I mean, everything was, they, I mean, the amount of time they put in, and effort and research, and he even gave a shout out to Zach Levine, you know, who's had you know an interesting week uh, on his own, um, about how much he, that that made him want to someday be in the slam dunk competition because of what Zach used to do uh, when he was winning that thing and awing people. It was, I mean, it was terrific entertainment, no doubt about it. And you said too, he was, you know, he was humble in all the press conferences he did immediately after winning the dunk contest. He was interviewed by Adam Lefko of TNT, and this is what you heard. Kenny said, one, a yep. star has been born, and two, you have saved the dunk contest. Can I get you to commit to doing the dunk contest again next year? I got you. If you guys will have me, I'll be back. We want Mac McClung back. Give it up. AT&T slam dunk champ, Mac McClung. Gotta love that, the humble nature. If you guys will have me, I'd love to be back. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I still think you know he still believes that he's going to play in the league someday. Uh, time will tell. But twenty-four years old, I, I don't doubt anything he puts his mind to. If if that's you know the kind of detail and attention he paid to this to make sure that his moment in the spotlight played out exactly as he'd hoped, God bless him. Well, and you would have to think too, you know, to have a former slam dunk contest winner on your roster, even if it's at the bottom of the roster. You know, there's something to be said for what happened last night, uh, generating potentially a roster spot for him, if not with the Sixers, with some other team down the road here. Because, again, you know, I, I, I do think you can there could be a little bit of marketing surrounding Mac, Mac McClung going forward here. So I think he may have, with uh, what he was able to do last night, carve out a little bit of a niche, at least for a short period of time on NBA rosters. Obviously, his play will have to, you know, help keep him there. But I think somebody's going to be willing to take a shot on Mac McClung going forward. Now, will he be in competition with uh, Westbrook 
to run the, the offense for the Bulls? How will that work? Will the, they just be in the same backcourt? Will they share the ball? How's that going to play out for the Bulls? This is an unanswerable question, Bri, that we will we have to wait and see. Let's try Joey G, who's in Melrose Park. Joey, you're on with Meller and Hanley. What's going on? Hey, Hanley, Miller, how are you? We're doing well, Joey. How are you on this Sunday? I am doing well. It's beautiful out. Sunroof is open. It's a great day to be alive. All right, first thing, this field was horrendous, and it was even more dangerous in the painted area uh, for somebody to get hurt. Uh, you gotta you got to give credit to the offensive line for Kansas City, and then you got to put the blame on the uh, groundskeepers for not having that field ready and uh, going to McClug. How does somebody not take a chance on him? Tell me. Well, I mean, now, Joey, he did sign, like I said, a uh, two-way contract with the Sixers. It'll be curious to see if they uh, give him a shot coming out of the All-Star break or if they will look to just send him back to the G League. Um, If that's the case, though, I do wonder if somebody will be interested in picking up, you know, just for, like I said, just to have, uh, to be able to say, hey, we've got the slam dunk contest winner on our roster i think it is a possibility and he showed you all the athleticism he has last night so i think it's possible that he will get a crack at it at least for uh for a little bit here going forward i, I guarantee you the philly fan store is selling those jerseys oh today. yeah you're right about that yeah, <laughs> j- just you're absolutely right brian just yep. with the the uh, ability the extra uh jersey sales that the sixers yep. can have they're definitely you would think going to keep him on their roster for the remainder of this season, and, I, and probably I would think you know they'll try and capitalize on it next year as well. Because, like you said, or, uh, or like we played, you heard him say he'll be back for the dunk contest next year. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. If you'd like to jump on in, I'm Jeff Meller. He's Brian Hanley. We've got some over unders for the Cubs and White Sox out. We'll let you hear what those are, and you can uh, weigh in and let us know which way you're going on ESPN One Thousand. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. with you till 11 o'clock today talking lots of football did a little dunk contest we've got jesse rogers coming your way at 10 o'clock to get you set for a little bit of spring training action pitchers and catchers have already reported we have some cubs and Sox over unders in which we'd like to pick your brains about let us know which way you're leaning on that but first let's check in with joe who's in oak forest wants to weigh in on mac mcclung's dunk contest win what's going on joe Hey, what's going on, guys? Happy Sunday. So um, I've been a fan of McClung since he was at Georgetown and even some of his high school stuff because, I mean, the kids always had some nice bounce. Yep. But um, my thing is this. Um, like, if we had, say, LeBron actually join the, the dunk contest or, say, Giannis or you get Zion or John Moran out there, these guys that are big-name superstars, because that's the point, that the, the part that the dunk contest is missing. We knew there's probably 50% or more than that of the nation that didn't know any of these guys out there. And if they're going to start taking G-leaguers and stuff like that, I mean, I watch dunk contests that happen throughout the year, and these guys are like street ballers. And some of these guys can dunk 10 times better than NBA players. If you're doing that, then grab like 
what the guy Jordan uh, Kill Cannon? He yeah. won this dunk contest. Like he does, like this backwards crazy dunk. If they're doing that, then get some of these guys in there, because obviously the, I mean, the actual NBA players don't want to participate in it. It's kind of sad. No, it it's a good point that Joe brings up Brian here because you know. We have nostalgia for, you know, when Jordan beat Dominique Wilkins at the Chicago Stadium, right? And sure. part of the reason, you know, it, it lives on with such lore is because it was the, the best player in the game up against the human highlight film. And, you know, that's the part of the reason why he, he's, he's – what Joe brought up there is not wrong. The no. reality of, you know, where the dunk contest, what it's evolved to is, is not great. And even though I was captured by it last night – that's somewhat of a one-off, right? You can only have Mac McClung introduced to the nation once, and maybe next year everybody will root, be rooting for him to defend his title. But, you know, you can't go to that well year after year and think it's going to have the same type of impact. No. I mean, it, uh, Joe's right. You're right. It's in, a, in a, a league that's all about the stars, and it's a player's league, and Jordan wasn't making fifty million or sixty million a year, or you know whatever guys are making these days. You know he was making more shoe sales and and what he's making from Nike than he was making from the Bulls each and every season. So the superstars don't want anything to do with it. They don't want to get hurt. They don't want to put in the time. You know that they, they the All Star Weekend to them is about enjoying themselves and hanging out and partying and and doing all the stuff that goes along with it. But if if Mac hadn't been Matt McClung last night. Yeah. Or call us right. Who'd be, who cares? I mean, you know, you're like, okay, who, whoever won it, it was no, you know, no big deal. Why you wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about it today. Everything had to go exactly according to his plan. And it did. And it's a great story. But as you said, next year, we'll see him again. And, and yeah, I don't know. The luster will be off the whole thing again, probably. And he brought, Joe brought up uh, John Morant as a name. John Morant said, this weekend, he's not going to be competing in a dunk no. competition. Um, to your point, he just doesn't, unfortunately for the fans, you know, he doesn't want to put the time and effort into constructing everything that Mac McClung did to make it a spectacle last night. And, you know, that it, but it is. You'd love to see someone with John Morant's ability, who is a superstar in the league, show it off on that one night. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's become something that uh, NBA players – don't aspire to win like they once did, even when they're younger players. You know, that it's not something that's on most players' radars anymore. Speaking of next year, next year is here for the Cubs and White Sox. We'll check in with Jesse Rogers from spring training next.